Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. You found the place where we talk horses. I'm your host, John Hare, and on today's show, we have from Queensland, Australia, Kate Pilcher, the owner of Globetrotting, a travel agency devoted to horse riding holidays and unique horse experiences. Good morning, Kate. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm so good, John. Thank you so much for having me. How are things down under? Oh, yeah, I live in sunny Queensland, as you said in your intro, and we're sort of ramping up for a very hot summer, and we live on 30 acres here in Queensland, and it's all speckled with lots of horses. I've got three daughters, and yeah, horses are just a really big part of our life. So yeah, we're looking forward to a wonderful summer. You have a fairly unique business, Globetrotting, a travel agency devoted to horseback riding adventures. Can you give me a little background on how you started a company like this? Yeah, for sure. It was um, when I was 25, I'm now 40, I um, was invited as a journalist to go and participate in a horse riding safari in the deepest depths of Kenya in the Masai Mara. And I rode for 10 days alongside the wildebeest migration um, alongside my father. And that was a really pivotal point because up until then, I'd only ever travelled to first world countries and never on a horse. And after that 10-day ride, it literally changed everything in my life. I wanted what I thought I had at home, which was a, a really good business where I owned a magazine and a boyfriend and a mortgage and a dog. And all I wanted to do when I got home was run away and travel the world from the back of a horse. What was that adventure like in Kenya? I mean, what was the day-to-day operation of that? So the Masai Mara is obviously one of the most well-known national parks and it crosses off over into the Serengeti in Tanzania. And every day we would be woken in our tent by a wonderful Maasai warrior and we'd be giving tea and then our horses would be, you know, saddled up for us and we would literally comb the plains of the Maasai Mara, like peering into the life of the game there. And every day we would move from um, one camp to the next so there was a point of purpose to our riding. There was one day where we crossed the Mara River, which is this tea-stained river that sort of carves the Maasai Mara in half and we had to cross it when crocodiles were literally sunning themselves on banks and there was hippos honking upstream. I mean, it was absolutely terrifying for me. I had a camera in one hand, I remember, and this crocodile, just as we were about to go into the crossing and across the the river, this crocodile decided to, you know, slink into the water and disappear and I was just like... Oh, my God. But I felt so alive at the same time. Like, it just never had felt such electricity. And that adrenaline just just clicked in. And that was sort of the rhythm of our days is riding and, you know, being mock-charged by elephants or, you know, cantering alongside giraffe or overnight time, the Maasai dancing for us under hurricane lamps. Like, it was just otherworldly and something so far from my childhood of growing up on a property in Australia and it just it just made me gasping for more to be honest because I saw other tourists traveling in a safari vehicle and I just thought wow they're just not getting it we're getting it because we 
are at one with the animals. You know, we're we're seeing them pretty much, you know, in in the way that they're seeing us. So yeah, it was we, and I'm still sending guests to that safari today because it is such a pivotal riding experience. Wow. As you look back on on that experience, was it dangerous or because of maybe your lack of experience it felt dangerous but really you were kind of, you were safe you know what i mean yeah really good question obviously prior you have to be what they call you have to be had to gallop out of trouble so that always scares people because they're like what does that mean but you're sandwiched between a front guide and a back guide and the horses are very good they know their job as three-year-olds they're desensitized to, you know, animals, wild animals in the Masai Mara National Park. So I felt very safe, A, because I could ride, and B, the guides knew how to approach the animals downwind and, like, just lots of expert, you know, experience. I felt very safe, and it wasn't that it was, as you say, ignorance is bliss. I, I felt safe from the beginning, and, and they, they don't take risks in terms of, you know, not keeping their clients safe, but it's just that little bit of adrenaline. And if, say, for example, an elephant were to mock charge, you always you always follow the backup guide in a different direction. And, you know, we've sent oh, nearly hundreds of guests to the Maslow Mara without any sort of ordeals, which is good. So you come back from this experience and do you write about it and then find out that there's a lot of interest around the world for these types of adventures? Yeah, so I, I, I come home and my photographs and my words get published in the magazine that I was owning and editing at the time. And it was actually more that my personal interest. So my whole life that I created, I was only 25, but it just did not fit. I felt that there was so much more to explore and my poor boyfriend thought that it would be best to propose to me because he could <laughs> see that I was so unsettled. And that just was enough to, for me to, to really book that flight. And I escaped to Argentina, Patagonia, where I'd heard there's also amazing horse culture and riding. And I found myself on a very remote estancia here on the Andes border in Patagonia, Argentina, where you have to ride in to access it on horseback. And I literally was there for six months with no contact with the outside world. I mean, it was just a true quarter-life crisis. Like I really just had lost my identity. I didn't know who I was. And all I knew was one thing is I wanted to explore foreign lands from the back of a horse. Yeah, so I spent six months on this amazing, amazing estancia where I learned to break in horses. I worked alongside the gauchos. There was no electricity. I mean, I literally, it was just, the days were so wholesome working with horses and getting up when the sun went up, um, came up and going to bed when the sun went down. It was, it's, it's, I mean, as you can tell the way I'm talking about it, I've got such beautiful, vivid memories of that time. Kate, how did you survive without a cell phone, he says sarcastically. <laughs> I know. And that I guess also I was brought up in the bush here in Australia. But I remember we'd go into town sort of every three months and go into one of those internet cafes. And But it, it's just exactly what I needed. I just needed – I journaled, I photographed. I just did a lot of soul searching. And that was probably the start of – or the seed of globe trotting. I then went on – 
to Torres del Paine in Chile and rode down there with the Bacchianos, which is very different to the Gaucho. So my sort of love of horse culture and horse people started just to really set fire, really. Wow. And then what made you decide to start a company? Did you want to to find more places to explore? So what better way to start a company to kind of, in in the United States, we'd be able to write all that off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, so from Argentina and Chile, I was there for six months. I was invited to go back to Africa where it all began. And I worked as a horse riding guide there. And that's where I really learned the art of looking after guests when they're on horses and, you know, sitting around a dinner table at night and, and speaking to people from all over the world. And I learned that these people are constantly doing these horse riding holidays. You know, every year they're making it their travel experience because they know that that's the best way to get to the heart of a country. And so I eventually had to come home and, you know, face up to all of my life responsibilities and the business that I ran away from and the mortgage that I ran away from. And with a new knowledge that I wanted to continue doing horse riding holidays and all of my friends were very interested in how I did it. They didn't want to obviously take a year out of their life, but they wanted a snapshot, like to do a 10-day ride, you know, in Argentina or a seven-night ride in Kenya. And so I started globe-shotting alongside my magazine that I had at the time as a, as a website-only business because back then that was quite unusual. And, yeah, it just very slowly, John, just started to get more traction as I put on more rides because the foundational aspect of globe trotting is we road test the rides. We make sure that they fit our sort of quality assurance before we even think about selling them to our guests. So it was a really slow burn to, to I mean, obviously I put on the Kenya one and the Botswana one and some ones in South America, but then it was just a, a slow building of our riding portfolio over you know five to 10 years. Now you seem like quite a big company, but I'm getting a feeling back then you were like a one woman operation. Did you go on <laughs> yeah. each ride and then test it out yeah. to see if it was yeah. appropriate? Got on. It was a one woman operation. And, and fortunately with my writing and photography background, I was able to, you know, photograph the rides so that people could really get a glimpse of them before booking them. And so Obviously, when we put a ride on on our website and it gets a tick of approval, I obviously don't escort every departure. We send people independently because the guides in that country adept at taking, you know, the guests. So now I do a lot of guided rides, well, pre-COVID, a lot of guided rides, but we send, you know, 99% of our guests, we send off on the rides wherever in the world it may be. Wow. Have you tried a ride and said, yeah, this is really nice, but it's it's a, it's above most people's level or it's dangerous or I don't like the operation and have not approved a, a location for one of your adventures? A hundred percent. And I love that you asked that because we're not, we're not really going out and just putting rides on just to build our portfolio. We've said no to, uh, we went on a massive tour in 2018 where we rode from Iceland down to Morocco we called it 10 rides 80 days and we rode from Iceland then we jumped across the island Spain Portugal France and then ended up in 
Scotland and then ended up in Morocco. But there were two of those rides that we did as exploratory rides that we didn't put on. Just A, the horse welfare wasn't good enough for us. like the, mm-hmm. And that's incredibly important. Or the change of scenery. There was one that was in Ireland that was just flanking pine forests and alongside a road. And that's just not... That's just not what Globetrotters, well, what we think they want. Well, we know we know what we like in a ride, and luckily um, for us, our Globetrotters agree with us. So we're very careful to put rides on that, you know, resonate our ethos and our philosophy, and that is based on, you know, as I said, good horses. We're horse, especially in third world countries, where horse welfare is paramount because there's nothing worse than being on a horse if it's got a girth sore or it's lame. Like it's just, that's absolutely not right. possible. You know, we just would not endorse that. The other thing is charismatic and knowledgeable guides for guides that know what that bird is, is that's flying overhead or what type of tree that is. They speak the local language and they're very, you know, they sit around the fire at night and tell you stories of, you know, that region. I think that's mm-hmm. wonderful Change of scenery is really important for us, very important. So, you know, because you don't want to be riding in the same scenery each day, you want change. So, and all of our rides have that. Mm -hmm. And then also that obviously the the off-the-horse comforts align with the price. So we have, you know, your luxury tours where, you know, you're glamping and, you know, like in Kenya where you get a gin and tonic as soon as you get off your horse Mm -hmm. or you know, and the price reflects that. And then we've got rides in Morocco where you have to put your own tent up, but the food is still wholesome and it's, you know, prepared cleanly and hygiene is really important and the price reflects that. So it all of those things have to align before we consider putting that ride on. And yeah, that's that's where we come into and then we can obviously speak firsthand with clients. You know, they may come to us and say Kate, I, I don't have that much confidence in the saddle, even though I've been riding for 20 years. I'm only confident in a Western saddle and I only have seven days. Where would you? Where do you think a ride would suit me? And we will specifically work with them in finding a ride that suits them, that sets them up for success. Right. And that's really fun because it's not one shoe fits all with a riding holiday. Some people want that adrenaline. They want to canter alongside wildebeest and, and jump fallen trees um, and they can't wait to do that when others want just to be able to walk and trot and only for three hours and then have a break in their hotel room you know so right. yeah it's it's very very John and, and that's what's great is I I really work on making sure that our rides are available to everyone dependent on their ability their age their their budget and how how much time they've got to spare as well. That was one of the things that most impressed me about your website, Kate, was I was looking through the rides and the details that you provide on each ride. You have the breed of horses that are used. You have the pace. What kind of tack is used? What kind of bits might be used? How much time is in the saddle? What riding ability do you need? The accommodations you get, what's included, and what is excluded and i noticed that on the french trip it excluded drinks other than wine at lunch of course because it's (laughs) france right yeah you go to great lengths to make sure that the traveler knows exactly what to expect on a trip 
Yeah, thank you. And that's, and we pride ourselves on that. We over-prepare people, John. So not only are they seeing that before they book and they're seeing all of the Globetrotter reviews so that they're going in eyes wide open, they've got us on the phone, then when they actually book, they get a trip prep kit which has everything for packing lists, which is so important so that there's no surprises when they get on that ride and go, oh, I wish I'd brought a head torch or, oh, I should have bought a, you know, a two-litre water bottle you know, so it's so that everyone is there with all the information that they have. So we set them up for a wonderful ride because it's not like packing to go on a beach holiday, right? Like it's right. very different. It's it, you don't have to, you know, overthink it. But because I've been globe trotting for oh, fifteen years now, there are hacks that I know that I like to pass on to my globe trotters because then they're just going to be so much ahead than learning the hard way. And I love that. Like, and and I think that a lot of our globetrotters agree and they say it feels like, you know, we're holding their hand from, you know, pre-booking all the way through to post-booking, which, you know, makes me smile because that's, that's what I would want in a company. Right. And if, if I were to take a trip to Hawaii and forget my swimsuit, there's a store I could just walk down to and buy a swimsuit. When you're on yeah. a, a horse adventure, there yeah. may not be a, a Sears and Roebuck down the street that you can go yeah. buy something. Yeah, that's right. And that's what we say to clients. Like a helmet is a very personal thing. We always tell them to take it on carry on. I mean, you don't have to wear it. You'd look like a real dork. But <laughs> you need to put, you know, you need to attach it to your handbag or your backpack because if your luggage is two days behind you, at least you've got you're wearing your riding boots, maybe. You, at least you've got your helmet, and you know right. you can you can get jeans or whatever. I mean, another thing we do, especially for the long haul flights where people are, let's say, they're based in America and they're going to ride in Iceland, we always make sure that they fly in at least two nights beforehand, so there is a buffer just in case their luggage doesn't arrive. Because there's nothing worse than doing like a dawn dash to buy underpants before a riding holiday. <laughs> like it's just, it's not ideal. I've yeah. been there. <laughs> it's not great. And, you know, and that's one of the biggest things about travel is the unexpected surprises on every trip that yeah. you find. So you've, you've managed to do that, but we're, the world is just hopefully emerging from the COVID pandemic. And I imagine 2020 was a, tough year for you guys and how are things now that perhaps some of the limitations are easing I'm sure not all yeah. of them have but how how's that affected your business yeah it's been um it's been a journey it's something that you can never sort of risk manage and we've survived which I'm so excited that we're here to have this conversation and, and looking back retrospectively of it the good thing with globe trotting is we have, you know, two very big audiences. We've got our U.S. and Canadian audience, and then we've got our Australian and New Zealand audience. And pre-COVID, we were also merging into a European audience. And so Australia and New Zealand fared quite well at the start. So we managed, and we because Australia is my home, we have eight very amazing rides in Australia and then three amazing rides in New Zealand. So when our beautiful American and Canadian clients were doing it tough, our Australians and New Zealanders were still riding within their own country or within their own state. So we managed to, you know, to limp through there. And then we saw once America got their vaccination rates up, we saw them having more consumer confidence and they started 
sort of traveling outside of America and we sent clients just this year to Iceland and at towards, you know, the last sort of October, we've been sending clients to the European countries like France and Portugal and Spain. And in Australia, we've been suffering until sort of now. So we've been able to lean on different audiences depending on where they're at with the pandemic and restrictions and vaccination rollouts, which is just, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't set the business up to think like that. It's just been so fortunate, John, that that's what's happened. And I feel like we're now on a precipice of it being, you know, frenetic in terms of bookings. Like I'm getting so many bookings through now, which is, you know, for 2022, 2023, which I wow. just love. And I'm so fortunate that, a, our, our globe shows have been absolutely amazing and flexible and gracious in, you know, having to postpone rides two times, three times in a row. Yeah. And then our ride partners being amazing and still in business. It was a very fine line to walk that, to make sure that our globe shows felt that they were being looked after and also our ride partners. But we've managed really with, with you know, grace in our hearts that we've managed to be able to, I think, do it with respect for everyone. There was a lot of grey hair moments for sure, but, you know, if we can survive this, then, well, we have survived it, then, I mean, I'm rambling, but now coming out of it, I mean, who doesn't want to do a globe-shotting holiday? It's socially distanced, small groups, you're not in cities, you know, like it's everyone is going to move towards this type of travel. We've, we've been doing it for a decade now, but people are going to really want to do these types of experiences. And that's going to be my next question. Have you noticed the characteristics of your globetrotting customer change pre-COVID and post-COVID? Not really. So our general demographic for our globetrotting client is a female rider. We do get men as well, but I would say that we predominantly have female riders. And they range in age from probably 30 up to 70, 75. And they are very happy to ride by themselves, which I love. And when I say ride by themselves, they book as a solo globetrotter, because, huh. which is great. Yeah. So, you know, yes, we do have sisters that go or, or a group of stable friends. I'm sorry to interrupt, but is, do you <laughs> think that's because their husband won't go or they want to get away from their husband? <laughs> Well, two two things, and a lot of husbands probably want to scratch my car because they think that all their, you know, that their wives are dedicated to globetrotting and what their wives won't travel, you know, on golfing holidays with them anymore. There's, <laughs> um, I think there's there's one they want to do something for themselves, or uh, their husband. If if they go on a riding holiday, then the husband gets the hall pass to go on a golfing holiday. So it just depends <laughs> on the relationship dynamic, I guess. But we do get. Lots of rides where non-riding husbands come, but generally the women can't, women do it by themselves and they meet, they meet like-minded people because everyone's joined there for a love of horses, the great outdoors and travel. I've met some of my best friends, you know, and I've got friends now all around the world from um, riding alongside them for 10 okay. days in a saddle. Yeah, it's really special, really special. And I do have to say that I would think that women tend to have a a different bond with horses than men do not not to say one might be stronger than the other but I think it's different and yeah it's you're right and look to me horses are incredibly intuitive and that I think 
they I feel like they they can really read energy and and women just with our nurturing side it, there's a really deep connection there you know they bring you into the present very quickly horses but I as, to answer your question I don't think our client has changed in that respect but I think we're getting new clients that are like they were probably lurking on our website but have never had They've never been pushed to book, but I think now with COVID and everyone realizing that life is incredibly fragile and short and, you know, I think now they've got that sense of urgency about wanting to gift themselves an experience like this. I agree. Yeah. Do you recall any particular stories from your customers that you've got that might have been life-changing to them that they related to you? Yeah, so many. Like I have one wonderful lady, Nadine, that did our Glen Orphy backcountry in New Zealand and she she bought the holiday when she got a cancer diagnosis and it was oh. it was a trip for her to, to beat cancer, kick it you know, kicking it to the curb and she did that ride and that just gives me goosebumps because she got through all of the cancer. So she booked twelve months in advance and that was pictures on her fridge and everything got her through her cancer treatment. Oh, wow. I've, you know, I've, I've had women do rides with their 75-year-old father. Absolutely. There's been phenomenal, or women that have just gone through a really nasty breakup and then, then they've done a ride and then that has dovetailed them into changing their whole career path. And Because the wonderful thing about a riding holiday is you're taken out of your everyday life and you have seven days with no technology and really try and, and encourage our globe traders to really switch off their phones. And they get that really lovely seven, eight hours in the saddle where they just have time to either not think or get perspective on the life that they've, they've put on pause for that ride. And they come back and make big changes to their life, especially mothers that have lost their identity for you know a couple of decades because they've been a mum and then they go and do what we call some of the most intrepid rides and they come back with just a new sense of themselves. And I just think, wow, imagine globetrotting being the portal for that. I just, and yeah, I feel so grateful because we really have, I say it and I know that word, um, but it is incredibly life-changing. It was for me and the stories are endless on how an impact it has on our, on our clients. It's almost like hitting a reset button. Yes, yes. Absolutely. It really is. And, and it's highly addicted. And then they end up doing one a year and it's so amazing. Like, and it's, it's, the choice is so elaborate. It's sometimes hard to choose, to be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah. And when you mentioned that you took a trip with your, your father, the trip that was in Kenya, and then the customer who went with her mother, that time spent with your parent as an adult in an environment like that is really those those become precious memories yeah. as we as we get into later in life absolutely i agree what about you what were some of your very special destinations that that you enjoyed or maybe well, had the, the biggest adventure yeah. on yeah well you know how i told you back at the start of the interview that my boyfriend proposed to me and i said no well <laughs> that boyfriend then came back to kenya when i got home after my runaway expedition and i proposed to him in kenya which was incredible that was probably one of the most pivotal moments and then 
riding in Iceland. I had a six-month-old. That was my youngest girl. So I've got three beautiful daughters and being able to have an amazing husband and he was doing all the droning and, um, and the filming and sort of getting off and breastfeeding in between rides. Like, I mean, who does that? Like that and then traveling with pretty much sharing my love of globe trotting with my daughters has been probably one that, you know, I didn't ever know if they would ride and I was very conscious of not pushing that on them, but they love it. And I feel like that is the biggest gift I could ever give to them. And as a family, the five of us, when we go traveling and seeing new landscapes and then, you know, seeing, you know, say Sumba, which is a tiny island in Indonesia, we went on a ride there to, to road test and, this has one of, I mean, they feel when they pass on that they go up to heaven on a horse. Like horses are a massive part of their religion. And I remember oh, wow. the girls and I seeing the Sumbanese people washing their laundry in the rivers and, and giving my girls an idea of, a, of different cultures and knowing that how much gratitude they have for the life that they have at home. But being able just to mingle in those sort of villages and and exploring those cultures on a horse just uh, it just yeah it 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 just makes me so happy that you know I can share that with them and that's and we're only at the beginning like we're planning now for next year August to go on a very special guided ride to Kyrgyzstan Kazakhstan Mongolia and India with our family and 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 some globe shotters and I just yeah I just that just can't I just can't wait for that to happen. It's amazing. How often are you able to travel now? My last riding guided ride that I guided was in Patagonia, Argentina at the end of 2019. I haven't Mm -hmm. been anywhere since then. And I just got my passport renewed because never would I think that it ever would expire. But (laughs) because of COVID... So I haven't I haven't been anywhere, John, apart from globe trotting in my own backyard, which is in um, Queensland. As a family, we did we do a lot of riding. I haven't, yeah, I, my globe trotting wings have been temporarily clipped, but um, yeah, they're they're ready to go as soon as probably you know hopefully in the next month. But have you planned your first trip yet? Yeah, so I'm hoping. Laura, my colleague, and I, to get to Scotland, we have this phenomenal ride called the Thirlstane Castle Ride, and we're supposed to be there in November, but Australia hadn't opened its international borders yet. But we're crossing all body parts that we can get there on our March tour. And (laughs) Scotland is, I love riding in Scotland. It's so, so much fun. So, yeah, fingers crossed we can be there in March. And what makes that Scotland special? Scotland's one of these places that we, um, and it's probably one of our most famous rides because we do a lot of exclusive ride itineraries where we handpick a ride partner and we, we approach them and say, you know, we want to work with you in putting an itinerary together. And Scotland has the Common Riding, which is the oldest horse riding festival in the world. It's, it dates back to, dates to the 16th century where the Scots, the clans people would ride out checking the stones, which is their boundaries, to make sure the English weren't taking their cattle. And every May through to September, the Scots do this amazing common riding where you ride alongside 300 other wild, crazy Scottish lads and lasses (laughs) across these fields at a full gallop in beautiful hunting attire and literally... 
gallop. I know, so much fun. And then ride into the particular one I did. I got to ride into the main street of Edinburgh with the whole side of the roads were flanked with people waving. And here I was, an Australian, in this amazing Scottish festival. And I had tears down my face. It was the most... and. Since then, we've put these rides on, which is the Scottish Borders riding, and they've sold out within minutes because, you know, you're getting VIP access into one of the oldest horse riding festivals in the world. So Scotland holds a very special part in my heart. And for me, for that to be the first ride that I go back to after COVID, that's just, it couldn't get any better than that. Like the riding is phenomenal. That's awesome. And yeah. that the other thing I liked about your website because I was was uh, armchair traveling as I was perusing yeah. your website, and you have rides that are as short I think as three days was the shortest one yeah. I found, and they yeah. go all the way to to a couple of weeks I think don't they? Yeah. Yep, you're right. You're right. When COVID hit, we did two things that was pivotal, and I think. Keeping our business alive, A, we started doing three-day rides, so mainly for our Australian market, for people that wanted a mini break, also affordability. And then the other thing, we did a 10 by 10% payment plan so people could pay it off. And yeah, that was absolutely pivotal. And so, yes, you can do a three-day ride, or I think our longest is in Mongolia, and it's a 19-day ride, and you you watch an Adam festival, which is phenomenal, in a rural area rather than in Ulaanbaatar, so you can really get up close and personal with the child jockeys that gallop across the steps bareback. They're amazing. And then you ride right up to the north where you spend time with the Tuxan people, which are the nomadic reindeer people. And, again, this is, gets our globe-shutting heart to flutter because it's true cultural experiences that – no one else could get there unless you're on a horse and you spend, you know, three nights and you drink reindeer tea. And so that's a 19 day experience. And that's like, so people really, what I call want to go to the edge of themselves. That's the ride, you know, that will do that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm at that reindeer pee kind of got me a little bit. Uh... <laughs> are you excited about drinking it or are you like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. the podcast my podcast is heard all over the world but our largest audience is probably united states canada yeah and and australia that we have a pretty big audience in australia too but if i'm not used to traveling and i want to look at your website what would be the tips that you could give me that would help me kind of pick out a trip that's, that's a really good question because it can get really overwhelming seeing all the rides we have. Yeah, so when they go on the page where it has all the rides, there's three filter bars at the top and the first one I would be doing is your ability. So mm-hmm. I would filter according to ability and just so people know, we have ability, we call it beginner, um, intermediate, strong intermediate or advanced. Now, I won't go through them all, but a beginner is um, happy to walk trot and learning to canter in open terrain but Mm -hmm. not in an arena and then um, intermediate is happy to walk trot and canter but probably aren't that riding fit so six hours would maybe test them and then strong intermediate happy to walk trot and canter in open terrain for six hours at a time and then advance is you know can handle a forward horse 
can canter downhill. So the ability is the most important. And the good thing about our website is we have all of the definitions of your ability right there So when you filter. And then the next thing I would filter would be according to whether you um, want to ride within your country or outside of your country and then duration. But ability would be the main thing because if you're a strong intermediate advanced, you'll probably see all the rides still. So you'll need to filter again. But if you're a beginner, you will only see a select few that will come up because obviously beginner rides, we have a lot of them, but there's not as many as someone that's, you know, advanced or strong intermediate rider. Very cool. Yeah. So that would be where I would definitely start or literally pick up the phone to us and we can talk to you in, you know, and be able to steer you in the right direction. We have no obligation to any of our ride partners in terms of, There's no bias, and that's why you book through us. Not only that, you don't pay any extra, which is very important to know that you pay no extra that if you were to book with us or if you were to go direct with a a riding company. But why people book with us is because of the unbiased information that we can give them based on their ability and budget and time that they can spend away. And because it's such a personal thing, even though you're looking on a website, you guys, you're saying you're just a phone call away and people can talk to a real life person? 100%. And it's only just me and Laura. Yeah, literally, it's just me and Laura. So we're a global business, but there's only two of us that do the sales and both of us have done all of the rides. So, which is great because we get to, you know, first we get to plan the ride with everyone with the client and then they're sending us photos when they're on the ride and then you're, we're planning the next ride. So we have some really lovely deep relationships with our Globetrotters, which we wouldn't have any other way. Yeah, it's amazing. I noticed that on your website you say that one in four book another trip yeah. within 12 months. That's a pretty yeah. good testament to the service <laughs> you provide. Yeah, it really is. I think actually through COVID, it, it was all our repeat bookings. Like, it, it really is that. It's very self-perpetuating once a client rides with us that they just go, oh, this is exactly what I, you know, this is for me. So, yeah, it's yeah, we're very lucky. Well, this has been great fun, Kate. I, I really appreciate you waking up early in the morning and talking <laughs> to me. We have That's quite the time again. change. I think it's like 18-hour <laughs> time change. So. Yeah. It was either me That's getting okay. up at two in the morning or you getting up at seven. So. Oh, look, this is fine. I've been up since four thirty, so it's it's absolutely fine. That's great. And if people want to find out more about Globetrotting and your company, where shall we send them? Globetrotting.com.au is the best point of call. So that's our website. And then Laura, my numbers and email addresses are right there. There's actually a fun thing, John, on our website. It's a pop quiz. So you can take it and it'll give and it'll spit out your most ideal ride. It's a bit of fun, but it's actually will go through your riding ability and where you want to go, and then it'll populate and give you a ride that what the questions that you've answered. So globetrotting.com.au is the best place to find us, and then obviously all the social media channels sort of filter down from that. But yeah, that's our hub. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you, John. Thank you for your time. And yeah, thank you for allowing me to share my story. I get a bit carried away, but it's really nice to rehash it. So good. Thank you so much. And we need to welcome you on a ride one day. So we're going over to America, you know, probably 2022, three. But yeah, you should definitely do a ride one day. I would love that. I'd love that so much. (laughs) Awesome, John. Stay well. That will do it for another episode. I enjoy traveling, but I must admit, I'm a bit of a homebody too. 
working out all the details, finding accommodations, drawing up a supply list, all seem way more work than most trips are worth. Add to that all the details of taking care of the critters left at home and vacations can be overwhelming. It sounds like Kate and the folks at Globetrotting have streamlined the process. Travel and adventure adds a richness to life that cannot be replicated anywhere else. If your bucket list includes riding the French countryside or the Scottish Highlands or seeing Iceland by horseback, this would be a good company to check out. And as crazy as the world has proven it can be lately, I'd say now is the best time to take that trip. Thanks to Kate and all the folks at Globetrotting for sharing their experience. I'll have links, photos, and more information at woepodcast.com. If you'd like to share a story or experience about your horse or suggest a guest, let's hear it. Send an email to john at woepodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and writing buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.